10 years ago, if you were on a bus ride in Seoul, South Korea, you might hear a little advertising jingle for Dunkin' Donuts turn on on the loudspeakers. And after that, then you would begin to smell the delicious smell of freshly brewed coffee. Where is it coming from? See, there was this ad campaign that not only played the music and the little jingle, but also ejected the little spritz of coffee smell into the air ventilation of the bus. And then by the time you got off the bus, hopefully, there was a Dunkin' Donuts right there, and you would purchase and consume. That was the ad campaign, won a bunch of awards. See, that's a perfect example. We live in a world of distraction. Everything constantly trying to get our attention, beeping and notifying and buzzing and auto-playing and do you want to watch the next episode? This distraction is being shoved into our eyes, shoved into our ears, and even shoved into our noses. Now, that smell ad was back in 2012 TikTok was released four years later, and in the last six years has grown to over one billion users. At Chippensburg University, an article was published in the student newspaper on February 8th by Paige Shope called, TikTok Destroyed My Attention Span. She writes, there were moments where I couldn't care less about what was happening in class. I just couldn't keep myself focused. Even when I tried to study, I was checking my phone every five minutes, scrolling through TikTok to give myself any kind of distraction. Can you relate? Do you feel distracted? Do you sense that your brain is just kind of fragmented into a billion different directions? Do you have trouble concentrating on a paper or focusing on listening to a friend? Let me ask a meta question. You know, why should you even pay attention to me right now? Why shouldn't you pull out your phone and scroll through TikTok? Because hopefully in this session, I'm going to offer you an exit ramp to that distraction. And I'd like to offer you the better satisfaction of looking at Jesus. So not whatever you want, but on Christ. As we've been talking about being elect exiles, we should be distinctively different from the world. Not just that we're reading books or trying to fight distraction in general, but so that we can focus our hearts, our affection, our eyes, our ears, maybe our noses on Christ, him. So distraction is a huge topic. We'll cover some of it in general, but our main emphasis will be on focusing on affection for Jesus. So we're gonna ask these three big questions. Why are we distracted? What are the sources? What are the dangerous effects of that distraction? And then how do we restore our focus? So you see on page 39, three words, sources, effects, solutions. So let me pray, and then we'll dive in. God, we need your help because we live in this distracting world and our our hearts love it. God, please, would you work in our hearts in these next minutes here together to stir up our affections for Jesus We need you to do this work in us. So we pray, we ask, Holy Spirit, do that work. Focus our attention on Jesus. We pray in the name of Christ, amen. So what are the sources of our distraction? Uh, Two big answers, external and internal, and then also looking at the interplay between the two. First, external, the media environment that we live in has constant distractions. Most available space is filled with ads, not just visual space, but auditorial space, and even olfactory space. Sometimes you're seeing an ad when you don't even know it's an ad, like a product placement in a movie. 
or in a show. See, the distractibility of the human heart has always been present throughout history, and we'll talk about that next, but as tech has progressed, we've gone from print books, which some philosophers back then said, books are distracting, oh my goodness, it's going to be awful. But then you had television, which is a bit more distracting than books, and then you have now smartphones in our pockets, which you carry around that little television with you everywhere, even to the bathroom, and then in the future, who knows? Some kind of virtual reality, the metaverse, maybe a bio-integrated contact lens that allows you to have augmented reality where I see Jordan, but I see little, there's his Facebook right there, and I can just boop. Show of hands, how many of you watched The Social Dilemma? The Social Dilemma? A few of you, okay. Ironically, it's on Netflix, so I don't know. But uh, it's a fantastic documentary looking at the external sources of distractions that there is a power asymmetry between you, the user on this side of the smartphone, and a thousand engineers on the other side of the smartphone that have specifically, very intentionally designed these products to be as exciting and as stimulating and as rewarding and as captivating and as, as addicting as possible. Now, the reason for this is because we have moved into the attention economy, which means that the most valuable resource is human eyeballs, attention, That's the most valuable thing. And if you've got a lot of eyes, that means a lot of ad views. A lot of ad views, which means a lot of money. So there's this massive, massive financial incentive for companies to make really, really, really interesting and engaging and stimulating things that distract you and keep you. So those are our external sources of distraction. They're purposeful. They're persuasive. They're powerful. And they're pervasive. But what's even worse than the external distractions are our own internal sources of distraction. The dangerous reality is that we want to be distracted. The human heart is restless, always looking for a beautiful object of worship. And yet, as soon as we get it, we enjoy it for a bit, and then we want to move on to something else. Proverbs 27.20 says it this way, and it's on uh, page 38. 38 on your outline there. Distraction. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. Never satisfied are the eyes of man. This is what keeps you on the infinite scroll on social media or just mindlessly watching TikTok. Or have any of you started watching a movie, but a few minutes in, you get bored, and so you pull out your phone. Now you have two screens. Hopefully it's enough. Maybe you like get a second phone or a third, just kind of set them in front of you. Here's how it works. Our affections will direct what our eyes will look at. We give attention to whatever we value. We look for what we love. Ben Stewart says, what you think about, you will care about. What you care about, you will chase. What you think about, you will care about. What you care about, you will chase. Our distractions reveal our heart affections. We want to be approved and loved and known. And that's one of the reasons why social media It's so exciting because it gives a sense of being known, being loved. A lot of likes, a lot of hearts, a lot of comments, a lot of follows. Hey, I'm loved, I'm known. Conversely, we will resist paying attention to whatever it is that we don't value. Zechariah 1.4 says that this is tragic. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. So we pay attention to what we value. Conversely, we will ignore the things that are boring or distasteful, including God. 
Example, how many of you are just like me, itching to hit that skip ad button after those three seconds so that I can watch the YouTube video that I actually want? Whatever blocks what we want, that is viewed by us as a distraction. And whatever's boring, we will unsubscribe, unfollow, even block, including God. So we curate what we pay attention to and what we ignore. The standard we use to evaluate is whatever has grabbed the affections of our hearts. What we love, we will watch. What we long for, we will gaze at. Now, how do these interplay, the internal and external? Internally, you'll pay attention to what you love, but externally, what you love is constantly being shaped by what you see, particularly with millions of dollars of advertising. Now, this has huge parallels, this interplay between how temptation works. There are external stimuli that create ideas in our minds that then stimulate our affections, They're trying to result in an act of our will. Like what Ben Stewart said, what we think about will be what we care about. What we care about, we will chase. James 1, 14 to 15 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So the interplay between the internal and external is complex, but I think a great metaphor or example of this is in the book, Salt, Sugar, Fat by Michael Moss. He's talking about the food industry. And he says that we know that making foods extra salty, extra sugary, extra fatty makes them extra yummy, but also makes you extra unhealthy. We know this. And yet the defense of the food companies is that's what people are buying. That's what they want. People want the salt, sugar, fat. When we make healthy stuff, people don't buy them. And so you have something like, the consumers are buying Oreos, and then they're like, well, they won't, let's try double stuff Oreos. Could people buy, buy that all, the time, you know, even more? They say, well, maybe we should make mega stuff Oreos, that abomination. And people buy that too. And so then the consumer says, it's the fault of the companies for even making mega stuff Oreos. They shouldn't make it. And the companies say, you know who bought that? You. That's why we made it. Now, who's right? Whose fault is it? Well, they're both right. It's a, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle, a, a collusion between the two. And it's the same thing with the sources of distraction. I want to acknowledge two things that seem to be contradictory. If you read books on these things, usually you have one book will say this only, and the other book say this only. These books say the problem is the external source of distraction. It's the, it's the problem of the, of the tech companies. They're the enemy here. Let's regulate them. Let's stop it. You'll shut it all down, delete it. And then there's people over here that say the problem is you. You're just weak. Your heart is wrong. You're the one that's, that's not disciplined enough. Grow some strategies. Grow some discipline. Say no. And I want to humbly say, I think both are right. And because both are right, it makes this vicious cycle where we want to be distracted, so they create things that are distracting. The things they create are distracting are so amazingly distracting that you can't resist doing it. And so it promises freedom and fun, but then it ends up in this vicious cycle of enslavement. And what kind of world does this create? Where does this end? Like, is there an off-ramp to that? So that's what I want to talk about next is the, the vicious cycle that produces these effects of distraction. And they're far-reaching effects. I want to emphasize the spiritual, but first touch briefly on just a few other areas of effects. First, mental. All these distractions create a fractured attention. We can't focus even maybe in our thoughts. We can't focus on reading books, it decreases the quality of your work. 
Emotionally, you're impacted by just a background anxiety because you're overwhelmed by how many things are out there pulling at your attention. You're hurried and frayed and fragile under constant stress. Pulled in too many directions, it's just too much for us to handle. Relationally, distraction makes us never fully present, never fully engaged in our conversations, always reaching for our phones. Technically, physically present, but emotionally and mentally absent in our relationships. We can't listen to a friend talking to us because we are on our phones. Or maybe we treat other people like NPCs, right? Non-playable characters in a video game. I'm standing in Starbucks line here, but that's not a person, that's not a person. I'm on my phone. These are just NPCs. Academically, our distraction makes us unable to concentrate during class. We can't focus while studying. We have difficulty writing a paper. And even if we can focus for a little bit, we probably won't because of distraction and, and, and procrastination, which is kind of a meta level of distraction. We're not focusing on what we should, but we, we can't say no because we don't have enough self-discipline to endure the difficulty of saying no to our distractions. So we prioritize video games over studying. But far more serious than these fruits is the impact distraction has on us spiritually. And I want to slow down here and unpack three effects spiritually of the distraction. We become choked, bloated, and deformed spiritually. Choked, bloated, and deformed. First, we become choked. In Mark chapter four, Jesus tells a parable about plants growing in four different kinds of soil, which represent four different responses to the word of God. And the third soil, he calls the thorny soil. In verse 18, Jesus says, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So did you notice that? The thorns choke the word. And what are the thorns? It gives three descriptions. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. That is a pretty good three-point outline to describe a social media feed. Distraction is spiritually suffocating. It chokes out the word and it produces an unfruitful life. And notice it's not that the word isn't present. It says right there, there are those who hear the word. They hear the word, but they also hear a hundred other things that then drown out the voice of God. Tony Reinke writes this. It's at the top of your outline there on page 39. In sum, all my concerns are dwarfed by this one, boredom with Christ. In the digital age, monotony with Christ is the chief warning signal to alert us that the spectacles of this world are suffocating our hearts from the supreme spectacle of the universe. So the spiritual effect of distractions becoming choked. Next, becoming bloated. So when you're stuffed from a Thanksgiving feast, you just want to curl up on the couch, not eat anymore. Uh, But certainly you do not want to run five miles and do push-up burpees to exhaustion. Spiritually, it's the same. When you are bloated on distractions, you are not ready for the spiritual rigorous exertion that is required to grow spiritually. Proverbs 27.7 says this, one who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. So we might wake up in the morning hungry, and instead of reaching for the word of life, reach for our phones, and then we get bloated. Oh, man, honey, 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 sweet, sweet, yes, yes. And then it's like, ah, I don't think I really want to read the Bible today. I'm just too full, you know? 
We're bloated with junk in our souls, so we have no appetite for the word of God, the bread of life. Being bloated on distraction gives us an expectation and demand for only what is short, easy, visual, and entertaining. That's part of the bloatedness. But the Bible is long, not short. Growing in Christ is hard, not easy. Studying scripture is textual, not visual. And the local church is meant to glorify Christ, not to entertain you. So being bloated on distraction results in boredom with God. We just have no patience for his slow, analog, incarnated kingdom. So spiritually, we're choked, bloated, and then thirdly, deformed. As Christians, we are called to be formed to be like Jesus, but our distractions tragically deform us to be like them. Tony Reinke writes, the human heart bends towards what the eye sees. Today's image makers fling into the world digital spectacles of sex, wealth, power, and popularity. Those images get inside us, shape us, and form our lives in ways that compete with God's design for our focus and worship. Romans 12 says that we are called to no longer be conformed to the image of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the goal is to be like Christ, not like the world. But the way into that formation is whatever we look at. We, be, we become formed by what we look at. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it like this. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we're beholding the glory of the Lord, and as we behold it, we're being transformed into that same image. John Piper summarizes this well by saying, you become what you behold. Whatever you behold, you become like that. You become what you behold. Whatever you look at, you will become like. Whatever you pay attention to will also spiritually form you. Tony Reiki writes this, our movies and television dramas present a view of the world where God is inconsequential, Thus, Pastor David Platt's warning is necessary. You don't become like Christ by beholding TV all week. And you don't become like Christ by beholding the internet all week. You don't become like Christ when you fill your life with things of this world. You become like Christ when you behold the glory of Christ and you expose your life moment by moment to his glory all through God's revelation in scripture. Sadly, all these distractions are deforming us spiritually. So let's just pause. You know, what a, a devastating list of effects on us because of distraction, mentally, emotionally, relationally, academically, and most of all, spiritually, making us choked, bloated, and deformed. What hope is there from this laundry list of poisonous fruits? Can we escape these distractions? And the answer, as we look at in point three, is yes. Not in our own strength, not in our own strength, but in the power of the gospel, we can escape distractions and refocus our attention on Jesus. Let me give you this in just kind of a proof text from Acts 16, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 
The Holy Spirit has the ability, the power to open a heart and allow it to pay attention to Christ. The Holy Spirit can remove distractions, awaken deadness into life, awaken a sleeper to be alive, awake, paying attention, focusing then on Christ. So I wanna unpack the gospel, just kind of how does that do that in slow motion, and then some more practicals. So the gospel is the solution, and it does that through at least four things, and I'll repeat these. But first, just say them all, all at once. It shows our need, it forgives us. The gospel gives us new affections and motivates new habits. So first, the gospel shows our need. So our distractions reflect back to us glimpses of our hearts. What we tap on shows what we love. What we gaze at is what we long for. So our media habits like this x-ray that just displays, hey, here's what you love. And this can be devastating as we see the dark depths of our own soul. It shows our great need for Jesus because we cannot fix our own hearts. We can't resist the distractions of the world. Our habits show that we are weak, sinful, prideful, and distracted from what really matters. Romans 1 says it like this. Humans love the things that God made, but don't love the God who made the things. They love the creation, but they don't love the creator. And so they do this, this rejection of God while simultaneously trying to cling on to the stuff that God made. It's like saying, I hate Leonardo da Vinci, but man, I love the Mona Lisa. You know, dad, I hate, your, I hate you, but can I borrow your car? God, I hate everything about you. I don't want you in my life, but I want my body and I want the world and I want, you know, the stars and I want food and sex and I want all your stuff, but I don't want you. The Bible calls this idolatry, loving God's stuff instead of loving God. And our distractions show us our hearts. It shows us our need by first showing us that we are sinners in need of the gospel. So the gospel then provides the second thing. It forgives us, forgives us. If we are weak, sinful, prideful, and distracted, there's good news for us. Jesus came to help the weak, the sinful, the prideful, and the distracted. We deserve death because of our rebellion against God, but God sent Christ to die in our place to rescue us from our slavery to sin, to forgive us of all our guilt and rebellion. Colossians 2 says it like this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The gospel forgives us, but doesn't stop there. The gospel also changes us. Number three, gives us new affections. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the gospel gives us new affections for Jesus instead of for sin. The reality is that you will never kill what you love. So if you love your sin, you will never turn away from it. But the gospel changes our hearts. And if you love Jesus more than you love your sin, you will finally be willing, joyful even, to turn away from that which was killing you, which you loved, and turn towards Jesus. Because now in your heart, you believe Jesus truly is better than my sin. 
seeing the beauty of Jesus in the gospel itself is what stirs our hearts for Jesus. His salvation fuels our affection. And then our affection moves into motivating new habits. Number four, Titus 2, 11 to 12, it's on page 38 there, says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. So God's grace comes first, but training comes next. Grace motivates different habits. We renounce worldly passions like binge watching and we live self-controlled lives, not slaves to video games. We pursue godly things, not bound by worldly hashtags. Our new affection fuels our new action. So the gospel does at least these four things. It shows our need, it forgives us, it gives us new affections and therefore motivates new habits. So this leads into more practicals. What are concrete ways that we can restore our attention and specifically focus on Christ? So I wanna talk about a key principle and it kind of has two parts. The key principle really is repentance, but I wanna slow that down in slow motion. There's putting off and there's putting on. That's the, the language of Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. We put off sin, we put on righteousness. We put off the old life, the old self. We put on the new self being made like Christ. Uh, let me give you a few other metaphors. If you like a food metaphor, we want to starve, we want to feed. If you want to think about military or sports, you want to play defense, we want to play offense. If you want to think about gardening, you want to pull weeds and you want to plant flowers. When I think about social media itself, very ironic. You want to unsubscribe and you want to have a new follow. The Bible describes that as putting off and putting on. So let me unpack those, give some examples. We want to put off whatever suffocates your joy in Jesus. Put off whatever suffocates your joy in Jesus. Whatever's distracting you from him, unsubscribe from it. Cut it out of your life. Block it, delete it, avoid it, purge it, cancel your membership. Romans 13, 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If any of you are a supply chain management major or logistics you know that there's a long line of steps from mining something out of the ground and then eventually getting the iPhone into your pocket you know, at the store. There's a long supply chain there. In a similar way, your sin has a supply chain. There's provision along the way. Whatever's suffocating your joy in Jesus, destroy that supply chain. Remove it from your life. Cut it off. Stop it. Blow up the port. You know, shut down the, the ships. Whatever is happening... To, to suffocate your joy in Jesus, track that down and stop it. Maybe that would look like a fast from all entertainment and social media. Maybe for a day, maybe start for a day, maybe for a week, maybe for a longer season, like during Lent, maybe this summer. No YouTube, video games, TV, Fortnite, Minecraft, TikTok, just cut it all out. Try it. It's wild. And you might feel like death. You might feel like, what in the world am I going to do with all my time? Freed up by that. I'm going to die. So that leads to the second half then. Put on that which cultivates joy in Jesus. Put on whatever cultivates, whatever stirs your affections for Jesus. Focus on that. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, how can you set your mind on things that are above? What would that look like? Here's some ideas. Regularly read the Bible. Read it in depth and breadth. Sometimes maybe even binge read the Bible. I, I don't feel like I've, I've talked to many people who are like, oh man, you know, I slept through my lawn this morning and didn't get to class. I'm like, oh, what happened? Oh man, last night, like I was in the Pentateuch and I was like, this is awesome. Read all the way to Psalms. Like I read like, you know, for five, six hours, I just lost track of time. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just binge read the Bible. Maybe pray, just spend time in prayer by yourself, pouring out your heart to God. Maybe gather some friends, pray together. Pray early morning, pray late night, pray, talk to God. Listen to worship music, sing along with it. Share the gospel with someone, anyone. Like Lincoln said this morning, proclaim, declare. You'll need to wait for the right opportunity to share it, proclaim it. Memorize a chapter of the Bible. Read a solid book about enjoying Jesus. Serve others as you have been served by Jesus. Take deeper steps of commitment with your local church, particularly this summer if you're going back home. Fight for joy in Christ. Meditate deeply on the gospel. So the key principle is one of repentance. Put off whatever suffocating your joy in Christ and then put on whatever will cultivate your joy in him. And then finally, I want to give you some intensely practical kind of top 10 pro tips for fighting distraction. This is a bit more general, kind of general distraction, um, but definitely use these for cultivating affection for Christ, but you can also use these tips because they're general for any kind of distraction. And a caveat as we look at these, I, I recognize that these solutions are not easy to apply, especially with that power asymmetry that we talked about way in the beginning, that you're just one person on this side of the smartphone, but there are thousands of engineers and advertisers on the other side. So the power asymmetry there, as Tristan Harris says. So it's going to be hard. And then also your own heart, you want to be distracted, you know? So this is hard. This is hard. So be patient. And when you fail, remember the gospel and then keep fighting. And, and these different tips might apply to people in different ways. So there's some nuance. Um, the first pro tip is long, but the rest of them are short. And I'll repeat them at the end. Number one pro tip for fighting distraction is read books. Read physical books. I've been reading a lot about this topic. And my working theory is that reading books is kind of like physical therapy for your fragmented attention. If you happen to fracture a bone or have some kind of surgery, you may need to go to physical therapy where they retrain your muscles, retrain your, your ability to use that limb, use that muscle in, in the right way. I think that reading books is the physical therapy to retrain us after the injury of distraction. Tony Reiki writes this, the concentration and self-discipline required to read books requires years of practice to build and consistent exercise to maintain the skill and concentration needed to read books is worth fighting for. I've talked to so many people that say, I used to read books. Back in middle school, back in high school, I used to read, but I don't anymore. And that's similar to somebody saying, I used to be able to deadlift, I don't know, 400 pounds, but now I can't. It's like, well, yeah, because you stopped exercising and you started eating potato chips instead of like the protein. So <laughs> to help you with this, 
of reading books, we have a book giveaway. Now, the two books that we have are first, The Common Rule by Justin Whitmell Early, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. He talks about four daily habits and four weekly habits. Very practical, very helpful book. And, and it's sort of in the context of our lives are wild, chaotic, we're distracted, we're overwhelmed, anxious, it's wild. These are habits of purpose that can help you. Kind of like a trellis for the vine of your life to grow on. We have three copies of that. At the end of it, I'll remind you, come up and grab them. And then the other book is Competing Spectacles, Treasuring Christ in the Media Age by Tony Reinke. I've been quoting from this book throughout this breakout. Um, by the generosity of desiring God, there's a ton of these available and they are for you, for you to cultivate your affection for Christ. There they are. Also, shameless plug, please come to my optional seminar today at 1.30. We're gonna talk a lot more about reading books and expand on that. So that's at 1.30 in the Mountain View Conference Room after lunch. So that's number one pro tip. That's the long one, the rest are short. Read books. Number two, delete distracting apps. I mean, if there's an app on your phone you keep going to, maybe you set a screen time limit, but you just say, nope, more minutes, please. Uh, just delete it, offload it. Because if it's not there, then you can't do it. And if you really want to go hardcore, give the password to a friend so you don't know it, and then you can't even reinstall it. Number three, monotask. Monotask. Oh, this is so helpful for me. It's really helped me to grow in more concentration. Close out other tabs, other apps, Put your phone away. Whatever it is that you are trying to do, work on a paper, you know, listen to something, uh, read, whatever it is, focus on that. You're trying to work on email, focus on that. Don't do anything else. Don't switch different things, monotask. Number four, reduce interruptions. Cal Newport has a fantastic book called Deep Work. It's all about that. Turn off notifications. Turn on Do Not Disturb on your phone. Find a quiet place where you're not going to be interrupted so that you can focus. Number five, take a tech Sabbath. Where you just stop all your tech, maybe for an hour. Um, that's one of the things that uh, a weekly, or sorry, a daily habit that Justin Whitmill Early describes. Uh, maybe it's for a whole day. Uh, maybe for a whole week. Maybe a whole season like Lent. Just remove all the tech from your life and focus on just being a human being in a body with people in God's creation. Number six, sleep more. If you are sleep deprived, you will be distracted. You will have very little ability to resist distractions. Sleep more. And that probably is going to mean less caffeine. When you get a little nerdy, uh, caffeine blocks adenosine receptors in your brain, which prevents you from having quality sleep and from even falling asleep. So if you want to sleep more, you got to have less caffeine, at least after like noon. Most people do not sleep enough. You should sleep about eight hours a night. Number seven, listen to people. Listen to people. Cultivate the attention on the person in front of you. It's so tempting. This person's boring or they're sharing a story that doesn't apply and just pull your phone quick. I'm just going to quick text this thing. And then we're not paying attention. Listen to people. One way to, to be able to help yourself do this is be thinking of a question you can ask. Ask another question of the person. Listen to people. Number eight, don't fill in your margins. There's all these little margins in life, like hanging out in the Starbucks line, waiting to order, or hanging out after you made your order, or going to the bathroom. There's all kinds of little margins in life. 
And we are very, very, very tempted to fill in those margins with our phone. It's kind of this like, it's just this like tick we do. You know, oh, there's a moment of free and then we, just, we just pull our phone out. I would, I would uh, advise you, recommend to you, challenge you, cultivate boredom. Just try it. Try being there in line. Just, just there, just existing as a human being. Not pulling out your phone, not doing anything, just existing. There will be a tension that begins to form in you. There will be a nervous sort of itch. You will want to grab your phone. Just just let the feeling pass over you. Cultivate boredom. Don't fill in your margins. Uh, Number nine, slow down. Maybe literally, like actually drive the speed limit. Maybe metaphorically, journal. I like to journal in cursive because it makes me think slowly. Maybe go for a walk, but not, not like a run or a speed walk, like a walk, like a slow walk without your phone. Slow down. And number 10, do less. Do less. Distraction is not just on our phones or entertainment. Distraction might be that you have chosen to do too many things, and so you're only able to give like 5% of your attention here, 5% here, because you're like, you know, the president of three or four different clubs on campus, you're working two different jobs, you're taking like 19 credits, you have an internship you're prepping for, you like just bought a puppy. So it's like, there's so much, most students I know, not everybody's like this, but most students I know are crazy overcommitted, crazy, crazy busy. So I would recommend do less. Say no to some new things that are awesome, exciting, all this is so cool, say no. And maybe even back out of some of the commitments you already have. Maybe you're on the other end where you actually are doing too little. You need to do some more and be more disciplined. Go to uh, the seminar later this week that by Peter Kroll and Becky Snyder on laziness, how Jesus turns slugs into ants. Fantastic. But at least my experience talking to most students, most people are enthralled to the achievement culture and they're doing way too much. And that's part of distraction. So do less. So there's the 10 again. Read books, delete distracting apps, monotask, reduce interruptions, tech Sabbath, Sleep more, listen to people, don't fill in your margins, slow down, and do less. If you want more on all this, there is a QR code on the bottom of page 38 with a whole Google Doc of recommended resources. I love resources. There are videos, there are articles, there are books on this. So if you want more on that, check it out. Now, we have a few minutes here before we need a break for lunch. So... On page 38, there are some personal reflection questions. So I'm going to be quiet, and I'd encourage you to look over that, write down some answers to that, and then in a few minutes, I'll pray and close us. Before I pray, let me leave you with just one last quote, which is actually from the very last paragraph on the last page of Tony Reckie's book, Competing Spectacles. He writes, Like a smartphone screen made blank, By the rays of direct sunshine, one day we shall see Christ's face. On that day, all the vain spectacles in this world of illusions and all the pixelated idols of our age will finally and forever dissolve away in the radiance of his splendor. So let me pray for us. God, we pray along with Psalm 119, we ask that you would incline our hearts to your testimonies, not to selfish gain. Lord, take our our gaze off of ourselves and put it onto Christ. Lord, please, would you turn our eyes away from looking at worthless things, things that do not value and profit us spiritually, 
for what we are made for. We are made to be satisfied by Christ. So Lord, please, would you give us life in your ways? We cannot do this on our own. We can't change our own hearts. And we are often powerless against the distractions of the world and distraction in our own hearts. So please, God, do this. We pray it for your glory and for our joy. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.